Anybody ever feel like you're ordinary? I, I would like to be ordinary in height, but I'm not well below ordinary. Um, there's things that we feel lacking in sometimes, and one of the things that I feel lacking in is pretty much anything that has to do with really manly things, like construction, um, cars, all those kinds of things. Uh, people ask me if I have a V6 or V8 engine, I'm like, I don't know, V8, that's like a juice, right? I don't know. What oil you got? I don't know, dark. <laughs> dark oil, is that good? Um, the other day, Krista was out driving, and for like the second time in, I don't know, six months, she got a flat tire. She was going up to Madison, she's about 10 miles north, on the freeway, a flat tire. And so I do what all good husbands do. I don't book out there to the freeway to change the tire, because I can't do that. I call up the insurance, and I'm like, hey, I need, I need your free people to come out there and change my wife's tire. And it worked out really well. It was awesome. But then I go to Sam's Club the next day. Hey, got to change the tire and all this stuff. And the lady at the counter, is, she's asking me something about something about my car. I'm like, I don't know. Go look at the car yourself. Because I don't have a clue, OK? Nothing makes me feel like I know less than when people talk to me about cars, unless you're talking about artwork. I am really awful at art. I got a C in art in fifth grade. I never got a C in anything else in my entire life. Okay, so I'm, he said I was average. I actually think I'm below average. So what happened is a couple years ago, me and my daughters, we decided, hey, we all have about the same artistic ability. Let's have a drawing contest. And so we drew something, and this is what I drew that day. <laughs> you might be asking, well, Kellen, what is that? It looks, looks like it might be a dog with flames coming out of its head. Be close. Dog on Pentecost Day. No, what it is, is this was me and my daughters. This was my rendition. Mind you, I was 35 years old. This is my Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You got it? I did. Yeah. <laughs> we have weird minds. Um, yes. So, I am never going to be extraordinary at art. Maybe extraordinarily bad, but I'm never going to be extraordinary. And the truth is, please take it down. Thank you. Man, you keep wanting to leave it up there the whole sermon. I don't know why. So, we want to be extraordinary at certain things. But the truth is, is we're all pretty much ordinary at most things. Ordinariness is kind of what we've got in our lives. And a lot of you would love, you'd love to be extraordinarily talented at something. Like my friend Josh is at music. Extraordinarily talented. Some of you would like to be extraordinarily attractive. I said this about Josh when he came in. Josh has the best hair I've ever seen for a guy, and he came in, and most of the time he just leaves it messy, and it takes till 9 o'clock of him doing this, and it looks good. But today he came in, and it just looked right, right off the bat. Not jealous of that hair at all. Eric keeps saying, I need to grow out my hair. I'm like, no. He actually said the other day, I'll shave my head if you grow out your hair. I'm like, mm, that, that might happen. Anyhow. We, we want to be extraordinary things. We want to be extraordinarily wealthy. We want to be extraordinarily intelligent. But the truth is, most of us, we see ordinary in our lives. But I think the most extraordinary people that I've come across in my life, they're not extraordinary in the ways that, that, that I've just described. There's a, there's a different kind of extraordinary that I think is outside of ourselves that makes people truly extraordinary. Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus says these words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
This is the very last thing that the Bible records Jesus saying to his followers. And I think it's awesome. Jesus is saying, like, you are going to have a power that the rest of the world is going to see. It's going to be an amazing power. In a world that's full of hopelessness, in a world that is, is saturated with the ordinary, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you something extraordinary. And it's not going to be you. It's going to be something supernatural. It's going to be something better than what Superman has. You know, Superman's awesome. Although I will take Batman over Superman every time. Yeah. Right? Thank you very much. Thor? No. Stop that. Thor is not even a superhero. I'm sorry. Shouldn't have said that. This is the last thing that Jesus tells his followers, people. He tells them, you are going to be difference makers. Like that is, and, it, and you're going to be difference makers not because of who you are, but because of who I make you to be. The mere act of becoming a follower of Jesus takes us from ordinary potential to extraordinary potential. It's a pretty cool thing. But the truth is, I think a lot of us, we kind of, we sit on this potential. We need to get to this place where we realize this potential that God has, has given to us. And so, so today we're going to take a, a look at a story about potential. And this story about potential, it has, it's centered around two of Jesus' friends, Peter and John. And we're going, to, we're going to look at this story in the book of Acts, but I want to first kind of go back a little ways to a story that happens in Matthew chapter 17. So there's this dad who's got a son who's having seizures, and these seizures are causing this son to, to suffer greatly. And so this, this dad hears about Jesus and his disciples and, and that people are being healed, and so he brings his son to the disciples, and he's like, hey, hey, disciples, pray for my son, heal him. And so they do. And we don't know by name if Peter and John are in this group of disciples, but we're, we're pretty sure that they're a part of this group. And these disciples are unable to heal this boy. And so the, the father goes and takes the son to Jesus, because Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is going to be able to do it. And sure enough, Jesus does what Jesus does, and he heals the boy. And so Jesus' friends, his disciples, are kind of bummed out now. They're like... I mean, we're walking around with you every day, Jesus. We're, we believe in you, and why, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus pretty much just tells them, the reason is because you don't have that kind of faith right now. And so we're going to fast forward a ways in the story. And now Peter and John, they have witnessed the execution of Jesus. They have mourned the fact that he died. And then that morning was turned into this incredible amount of joy that they never thought could have been possible when Jesus came, came back and rose from the dead. And then they witnessed him ascend up into heaven after he, he's told them, hey, you're going you're gonna to have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to give you power. And so at this point now, Peter and John are different than what they were in Matthew chapter 17. They are excited. They believe that God can do miracles. They believe in awesome stuff. And they believe that something's going to happen as they're walking around in the midst of the people in Jerusalem. And so we get to Acts chapter 3. I'm going to start off with verse 1. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. 
just want to kind of give a little bit of a history lesson here about this gate called Beautiful. Uh, a lot of scholars think that this gate was also, it also had another name by the name of the Corinthian Gate. And it was this gate that, that was at the, it, it led from the court of the Gentiles to the court of the women. And now what that is is they're leading up to the temple. In this court of the Gentiles, the Gentiles couldn't go past that court. Non-Jewish people couldn't go past it. And then you had the court of women, and women couldn't go past that one. And that's where this gate beautiful is at. And it's, it's an incredible gate. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's as expensive as you could imagine. It's, it's made with bronze. It's got uh, gold plates and silver plates all over it. Uh, it's got a, a vine on it. And the vine is extremely important to the Jewish people because they see themselves as the, the vine of God. And... When the sun hits on this gate called Beautiful, it's absolutely spectacular. Hence the name Beautiful. And so that's where this lame man is brought to every single day. Now, why is he brought there every single day? Probably because he's thinking, okay, this is the temple. This is where people are going to worship God. If anywhere people are going to give me money so that I can live, it's probably going to be at this temple gate called Beautiful. And so that's where he gets, he gets put every single day. Verse 3, we, we read this. When he, when the lame man, saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. And I've always found this kind of be too weird, to be a weird situation, because you've got this guy who is begging people. He's, he's looking at people and he's begging for money. Give me money, give me money, give me money. And he says it to Peter and John. And for some reason, though, he's looking at him, he's calling it, Peter still has to say, hey, look at me. And I think what we've got here is we've got a guy who is absolutely desperate. We've got a guy who's just, hey, can you give me money? Can you give me money? And you know how you don't expect anybody to, to answer you, and so you're not really looking at people, but you're just kind of going from one to the next in desperation, hoping that someone will do it. And he passes by Peter and John, and he doesn't even realize that they're, that they're able to give him something amazing. And so they have to get his attention. They're like, dude, look at us. Stop. This man has become accustomed to seeing ordinary responses from people. He's used to seeing ordinary responses. The ordinary response is, no, get out of my way. Do you want to go beyond the ordinary to where you see the extraordinary happen in your life and in the lives around you? That's what we're talking about today. Getting out of the ordinary and seeing the extraordinary. I think one way that, that you do that is you let your responses to the people around you become something unexpected. Let your responses be something inspired by God rather than by the status quo. What do I mean by that? I mean every single moment of every single day, we do things that's just the normal, that's how we react. Our kid messes up, we, we yell at him, we get frustrated at him, that's, how, that's the status quo, that's the ordinary way people react to life. And I'm saying... If we learn to respond out of the ordinary into the extraordinary the way that God would have us to, extraordinary things are going to happen. But I wonder if people don't expect anything out of the ordinary from Christians. I know sometimes when crises happen, or crises happen, probably is the right word, thank you. Uh, I just looked at a school for something else. She'll be able to tell me if that was right. When crises happen in the world, and, and Christians are out there saying, uh, you know, putting on Facebook, I'm just praying for these people and praying for these there's people who aren't Christians that get mad at that. Say, why don't you stop praying? Why don't you do something about the situation? Now, here's the thing. I don't think by any way, shape, or form that prayer is something that is just 
ordinary. I think it's one of the greatest things that we can do because we're asking the supernatural God to do something supernatural. But I will say, for people who, who don't know God, if all we're doing is offering up prayers and we're not doing something tangible attached to that to help people, what are they going to see? As a Christian, is your response to, to a crisis situation simply to feel bad for people? Or is it to take time to actually pray? And sometimes we say, hey, I'm praying, but we actually haven't prayed. Been there before? Hey, I'm praying for... Oh, wait, I'm... Sometimes I'll, I'll be about to call someone and be like, yeah, I'm just letting you know I'm praying for you. And I'm like, I should probably actually pray before I make the phone call so that I'm not lying. What extraordinary things are we doing in a crisis situation? How are we going and helping people? As a Christian, is your response to your child's temper tantrum the ordinary response of exasperation and frustration, or is it the response that will help that child become a better person? Is it the response that will help that child see the gospel a little bit more clearly? As a Christian, is your response at tax time, how can I cheat the system to keep as much money as possible? Or is it how can I be as honest as possible to keep as much integrity as possible? As a Christian, is your response to your free time a self-centered thing? Or is it, what can I do with my free time to help somebody else out? Now, I'm going to be honest, that is one for me that's tough. I don't even like my own kids to get in the way of my own free time sometimes. It annoys me. It's like, hey, I'm watching the game, people. And I'm going to foreshadow something that's about to take place. Some of you probably, you're seeing ahead. You're seeing that Peter and John are going to do something awesome for this guy. This guy's probably going to start walking, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he is. So, that, I'm foreshadowing it. But I want to I point something out before we get to the part where they, they heal him. The only way that an extraordinary result was going to take place in this lame beggar's life was if Peter and John were willing to respond to his need in an extraordinary way. Everybody else was walking by this guy, telling him, to, hey, sit down, shut up, or they were, they, were walking, they were walking to the other side so they didn't have to deal with him. That was the ordinary response. The only way something extraordinary is going to happen is if Peter and John did something extraordinary. And I think turning ordinary situations into extraordinary situations is easier than we think. I was telling kids in the youth group a couple weeks ago about something that I used to do when I was in college. I was an usher at the Target Center in Minneapolis while I was in college. And so that's where the Minnesota Timberwolves play and they have concerts there and all this stuff. And I would have to take tickets before people were, as people were coming in. And it got really boring. You're taking tickets for like thousands of people, okay? And so I started to, I'd take a ticket from a guy, and I would, every guy that I would take a ticket from, I'd just be like, hey, John, hope you have a good, good night, enjoy the game. And every woman that walked by, I'd, hey, Jesse, hope you enjoy the, night, the game tonight. And most people were like, what's wrong with you? But every now and then, a John or a Jesse would come through. And it was awesome. It was brilliant. They're like, how do you know? I'm like, how don't I know you? We played together all the time when we were kids. And then you take it a step further. You're like, remember you, me, and Tim, your brother, would play? And then if they have a brother, Tim, it's like, whoa! It's the coolest thing ever. It's shocking. You've taken the ordinary situation. I just made an extraordinary situation for that person coming into that game. Now, the rest of the people thought I was probably crazy. And I, okay, I probably am. But we can take ordinary situations and make them extraordinary. We can make an impact on people when we make 
situations extraordinary. When we respond to people out of the ordinary and do something that actually grabs our attention, that, that shows that we care. And that's something that happened, I think, here with this lame man. Everybody else is walking by, not doing anything. But Peter and John, is this going bad? Somebody go, go get my buddy Tate, because this is going bad. Hey, is this on? Can you? Number two over, number two over there? Can you un undo it? Yeah, my buddy's going back there. I'm gonna keep talking on this one for just a few seconds. Um, and then we're gonna, we're gonna have this one ready to go. Batteries are bad in this one, and we thought we had it. All right, there we go. Cool, thank you. All right, so this lame beggar, Peter and John did something for him that was unexpected. And because of that, I think the moment that they looked him in the eyes, hey, look at us, what happened was they had already gotten this lame guy. They'd gotten his attention, they'd made a difference. And I actually think just the fact that they showed care to this guy, in some ways I think that was almost as important as the healing itself. Think about it for a moment. Why do you go to a store to shop for things? You go to stores to shop for things because usually because it's the cheapest store that you're going to get these things at. That's why you go to Aldi and you go to Walmart and you go to Festival and you go to Woodman's to get the cheapest things at each of them, right? I don't. My wife does, though. We go, to, we go where things are cheap. That's why we drag ourselves into Walmart. It's the only reason, right? We don't want to go to Walmart except things are cheap. Except for, I can think of a place where, where I was growing up. There was one store that I loved to go into. It was more expensive than most of the stores, but I liked to buy things there. And the reason was is because the people were so good at customer service. Ace Hardware. I don't know if they teach everybody at every Ace Hardware to have good customer service, but in Monaco they did. And so you'd go in there and people would be like smiling at you like they actually cared about you even though they were mean to you in high school. And it was just, it was this great thing. And so I'd go there and I would, I would buy things that were too expensive because of the experience. When you feel appreciated, something, when, when things are out of the extraordinary, good things can happen. And so that's what happened with Peter and John when they said, look at me. And because they took time to care for this dude, like nobody else would, the power of the Holy Spirit was able to be at work. So we read on in this, in this uh, passage, Acts 3, verses 5 through 10. It says, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. An absolute miracle had just taken place in this guy's life. And I love, I love what Luke does here. Luke is writing this book of Acts, and Luke is a physician, so he's a super detailed guy. And so he actually shares the details of why this man was crippled all of his life. The, crippling, the, the paralysis started in his feet. It was at the, at the base of his feet and his heels and in his ankles. And he says that when Peter said, get up and walk in the name of Jesus, that his bones literally started to heal together. They came together and they started to work so that he was able to walk. And now this guy's getting all excited. And he's jumping around. He's praising God. And it's in that moment that God did something 
amazing, something extraordinary through ordinary people. See, Peter and John, people saw them as ordinary. We go ahead a little ways to Acts 4, verse 13. And we're, it's talking about the rulers of the law and, the, and the, the teachers and the priests. They were sitting around talking about this Peter and John. And they said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. This is, I just realized this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's saying these guys were unschooled, they were ordinary, but they had been with Jesus. See, I think we need to remember a couple things here is that this healing took place, but Peter and John had been in situations before where they were unable to be a conduit of a physical healing. They weren't able to do that with the, the boy with seizures. I also think we need to understand that this miracle was not done for Peter and John's benefit. I think sometimes we think that great things should happen through us, God doing things through us, as long as I'm spiritually the person that I'm supposed to be. But this isn't about Peter and John. This, here's the, this isn't even about the lame man being healed. All this healing is all about is people come to know who Jesus is. And that's what happened here. Because this man was healed, people started going crazy. People started freaking out that God must have done something. See, physical healing, even in the long course of Scripture, physical healing is not a phenomenon that is, like, happening all the time. It happens a good amount. But there's always another reason for why a physical healing takes place. Physical healing is not the end game. The end game is spiritual healing every single time. We got to remember that physical healing is only temporary in this life. So Jesus, when he was saying to his followers, he said at one point that you're going to have fruit come out from your lives. People are going to be healed because of you. I don't think he was just talking about physical healing. I think more than anything, he wanted spiritual healing. And it reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis, I was reading this week, C.S. Lewis said, while very important... The healing of the sick and the provision of the poor should be less important than the salvation of our souls. See, this whole story was a paralytic man. He was a symbol of our spiritual paralysis. And God was trying to show people what I'm going to do for this guy physically, I want to do for you spiritually. Jesus himself actually probably walked through this gate called Beautiful many times. This is the gate leading up to the temple. And so Jesus probably came through this way. And because this man, the Bible says that he was brought here every single day, the odds are really good that Jesus walked by this lame man a bunch of times. And Jesus never chose to heal him. It's a weird thought to me. Jesus walked through this gate, saw this man, never healed him. And I think the reason is because Jesus understands the extraordinary better than we do. He understands ultimately what he's trying to do. And I think he knew. One day, Peter and John are going to be able to bring, bring this man healing through me so that other people, more people than what would right now see me, more people will come to know me because of what Peter and John are going to do. And it says in Acts 4, many who heard the message of Peter and John believed so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. This is the final destination 
of when God does extraordinary things in our lives, this is the final destination, that people would know him. And I think God wants us to be a part of that process. God wants to empower ordinary people to do extraordinary things so that lost people will see and know God's glory. I think God wants us to be difference makers. That's, that's one of the reasons that we're saying, hey, be a difference maker for a foster family. Again, I'm not going to remind you the whole thing about that because Eric took like 18 minutes to do it in a video. But on, on February 27th and on March 10th, you have an opportunity to help some families as they go through some training for, to, to be, be foster parents. You can help watch their kids. It's a simple thing. It is a seemingly ordinary thing with extraordinary results. Loving on some people who are, are doing some awesome things for kids in this area. Maybe you don't like watching kids, but man, we should, we should want to help people. We should want to help these families. Another thing that I think is important is to see that we can be difference makers in our own church. Uh, I'm going to ask you, if you've got your phone, you can go ahead and put it in your hand. Stop texting the person next to you, whatever. But you've got it in your hand, and you can pull it out and, and put your code in or your fingerprint or whatever and, and get out your, your, your websites. That's what I'm going to call them. Get out your websites. Go to centraljanesville.com backslash help. Super easy. Centraljanesville.com backslash help. And on there, there's a page. It's got a, a certain jobs in, a, in the church that you can, you can be a part of, that you can be a difference maker in. It's got Kids Works, Kids Midweek, First Impressions, Tech Team, Worship Team, Fox Hills Cleaning Crew. It's got one that says Other in case you want to make something up. That'd be cool too. I want you to understand that even doing what would be considered ordinary jobs can have an extraordinary benefit to the kingdom of God. I think about pe the people who come in and clean Fox Hills on a weekly basis. I am so thankful them for them because I don't want to do that. I'm just being honest. I like things clean, but I hate cleaning bathrooms, especially public ones, okay? And so these people come in and they do this seemingly ordinary thing and they clean Fox Hills. And then when, when we got teenagers coming out Wednesday night, Wednesday night, when we've got small groups in there on, on Tuesdays, when we've got people coming in to talk to, to me or Eric, We've got a clean place for them to come in. It's a good environment. It's an ordinary thing that has extraordinary benefits. I think God wants to, to use us in the ordinary ways for extraordinary things. I, I've, I've talked about Kids Midweek a lot, and it's something I love, but I want to say, I, there's a lot of things I do at Kids Midweek on Wednesday nights at Wilson that seem ordinary. I bring out uh, a computer you, that we use to check kids in so that they can have a little name tag so we can know their name and so that we know who's supposed to be there and who's not. Uh, seems really ordinary. I set up a sound system and a, and a computer to a TV screen so that we can use it for our large group time and games. I play, I play a ridiculously silly game with the kids usually every week that annoys all the adults in the room except for me. Uh, I love it. And then about 4.45 at, at night, um, about 15 minutes to the end of midweek, I have to go out to the pizza man from Papa John's and get pizza that, for that night for the kids. And every single time I bring this one kid with me, because this one kid annoys every other group. And so my ordinary thing that I get to go and do is I get to bring this one kid with me because he wants to help with things. So hey, help me, even though I can do it all myself, come and help me with these pizzas, buddy. And it seems ordinary. but. It has an extraordinary purpose because it's meant, all of it's meant to bring 
kids to know who Jesus is. These ordinary tasks become extraordinary when it opens the door to talk to a kid about what respecting somebody else looks like. These ordinary tasks become extraordinary when it opens up a door to talk to a kid about, hey, who, who do you think Jesus is? These ordinary tasks become extraordinary when it allows me to have an open door to talk to a parent who's asking me, hey, I want to I get my family to come to church. What, what do I need to do? Well, you get in your car and you come to Pontiac. It's Sunday morning. Ordinary tasks, ordinary things allow for extraordinary opportunities because the Holy Spirit is working in it. What ordinary things is the Holy Spirit asking you to do for extraordinary purposes? What things in your life that are seemingly ordinary is God asking you to step it up a little bit and to do it in an extraordinary way. When your kid is driving you crazy, can you respond to them in an extraordinary way that shows them a little bit more of who Jesus is? When every moment of our day is saturated by the Holy Spirit, we begin to make a difference in people's lives. A spirit-saturated word to a coworker who's struggling a spirit-saturated gift that we give to somebody who's in need of something. A spirit-saturated act of service for somebody who's, who's just feeling depressed, who's feeling unappreciated. What does it mean to be spirit-saturated in everything that we do? It means I'm asking God to show me as I go through my day the lame person that's sitting on the side of the road. I'm asking God to give me the open eyes to not just go about the status quo and the ordinary of every single day. And God, show me what the extraordinary thing is that I can do in somebody's life today. It's asking God for the, for the eyes to see that one kid at school who nobody else is friends with. What can I do for that kid? I think the Holy Spirit wants to empower you and me to do the little things that no one else is doing so that other people will know who Jesus is. Maybe you're honestly thinking, man, I, God can't use me. I'm... I've done too many dumb things in my life. I am not gifted. I'm not talented. There's no way God is going to make a difference out of me. Peter and John were failures. They couldn't heal a boy when, when Jesus was right there with them. They would ask Jesus, hey, like, can I be your right-hand man in heaven? Like, who does that? They, they denied who Jesus was. They cursed him. Yet Jesus still used them to make a difference. Because he, he empowered them. God empowered them. You can't make a difference for God on your own, but because he's given us the Holy Spirit, like it talks about in Acts 1.8, we can make a difference. Maybe you're not going to raise people from the dead, but maybe you can help raise people from spiritual death. Again, that's what this whole story was about. The beauty of the story is not that a man was, who, who couldn't walk was able to walk. Because here's the deal. God has chosen not to heal people who couldn't walk. And those people were such an example to other people that God saw, people saw God through those lame people. The healing was to bring more people to Jesus. And when we point to Jesus, man, there is such power in that. Acts 4.33 says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There is so much power that we have in Jesus who resurrected and there's so much power that we have because God has put himself into us with the Holy Spirit. God has made you extraordinary in his nature so that nothing you do is simply ordinary. Everything that we do is supposed to have a purpose. Everything we do has eternal ramifications. 
When your kid is acting up, you can respond to them in an extraordinary way. Every time that you are in a group of people, it may seem like an ordinary moment, but it's a moment that someone in that group has to come into contact with the extraordinary, extraordinary nature of who God is. Every moment that we have is a moment that we can be aiming and pointing somebody to Jesus. And as others see God shining through you, that's when they're able to start to see God for themselves. Jesus could have easily not gone out of his way to make a difference in our lives, but he did it because his love is that great for us. And his love, it is, he gave us all the reason, he gave us the call, he gave us the power to be the difference makers for him that he wants us to be. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit, he said, you are, you are literally extraordinary by nature. We have the capability to do this. I think God is still working miracles. I think the greatest miracle that God wants to work in people's lives is to bring people from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. And I believe that God wants to use you and me to be a, a part of that. The question for us this morning is, are we letting God make us into difference makers? Are we letting God use us to be a difference maker in people's lives? Are you open to making the extraordinary response when the rest of the world would just make an ordinary response? What's the different thing that you're bringing to this world that's not about you? What is the extraordinary thing that you are pointing people to that will point people to Jesus? I think God wants to do fantastic things with every single one of our lives, but I don't think that he just wants to change your life and to just change your eternal outcome. I think he wants to change other people too. I think he wants to use us to do that. Why don't you pray with me?